inspiring conversations with the most compelling performers, educators, authors, and product manufacturers of our time. This is the show about all that's new and neat with clarinet, with the neatest people in the industry. Welcome to the Clarinet Podcast. Today is International Podcast Day, and all around the world, podcasters are celebrating the genre and promoting it through various means. So what I'd like to do today is break free from the norm and actually introduce myself a little bit better to you, my audience. So this is five neat things you probably never would have guessed about yours truly, your host, me, Sean Perrin. Before we get started, I do want to just mention that of all the episodes, you've probably not gone to the show notes page if you're like 90% of the audience, but this might be one that you want to. I'm going to throw up some funny pictures of, of the past and I do hope that you enjoy them. I'm your host, Sean Perrin, and you're listening to the Clarinet Podcast at Clarinet.com. If you'd like to listen to an extended ad-free version of today's episode and many others, head to Clarinet.com slash subscribe. Don't forget to visit the Clarinet store for links to buy official apparel and special offers, products, and services, some of which are available exclusively to our listeners. And of course, I love to hear from listeners all over the world. If you'd like to get in touch with me or be a guest on the program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button at our website. Again, that's clarinet.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show, and thank you especially to our sponsors for helping make it all possible. Hosting for Clarinet is sponsored by Bakun and their new Vocalese mouthpiece. Complex resonance at a reasonable price. Get yours at www.bakunmusical.com and save 10% on any accessory purchase with code Clarinet at checkout. Have you wanted to try Daddario Reads but weren't quite sure which to choose? Here's how to decide. Reserve Reads come in a white and blue box. They feature a traditional blank and are perfect for those who want to focus sound with the quickest response possible. Reserve Classic Reads come in a white and purple box. They feature a thicker blank that provides an expanded tonal color palette, clarity of articulation, and added flexibility. And the new Reserve Evolution reads come in a white and yellow box. They feature our thickest blank and have a heavy spine for added projection and exceptional tonal depth, warmth, and flexibility. You'll have to try it to believe it. Try Reserve reads now at your local music store or head to clarinet.com reads to buy a box right now. The first thing you'd never guess about me is that I use something called the Dvorak keyboard layout when I'm typing, and I can actually completely touch type at over 80 words a minute using this, whereas before when I used QWERTY, it was just an absolute disaster. So, And that actually is part of the reason that I switched. I never really did learn QWERTY typing technique properly throughout school. I don't really know why, but around 2007, I started getting a lot of repetitive stress injury on my hands, or in my hands, I guess. And it was suggested to me by my doctor that it was probably my clarinet playing. Now, I knew that I was improving my clarinet playing daily by taking clarinet at university. So I figured it was probably more likely to be my typing. And I switched to this new layout. And to my surprise, I had no more RSI problems for the rest of my degree. And I still don't today. So I found the Dvorak layout to be really interesting for more reasons than just being unique. I mean, I don't know anyone else who uses this layout. I've never met anyone who does, actually. But... I think that less than 1% of people actually do use this layout. Um, but I actually really enjoy how it feels to type. It's a much more smart 
layout for the keyboard, all the vowels are on your left hand, mostly, and the, um, the consonants are on the right hand. The letters are organized by finger strength, and it's just really well thought out. So definitely something interesting. I could go into it in a whole lot more detail, but I think what I will do for sure is put a link to this in the show notes if you're interested in trying it. Now, one thing people always ask me is, how long did it take you to switch? And that is a great question. The way I did it is I went completely cold turkey. I didn't even change the keys on my keyboard because that's actually a disadvantage because it encourages you to look down. So I left my keys in QWERTY, but I printed off a Dvorak layout and set it off to the side. And I would look at that while I was typing, which you know took my eyes away from the computer screen. So it was kind of hard going back and forth at first. But I'll be honest, the first couple emails I sent, I'll never forget, I was sending a message to my Aunt Patty. And it was just something simple like, yes, I'll come over to watch your cat next weekend. And it took me like 25 minutes to type this message. And I was so, so frustrated. I never thought my brain would be able to manage it. But amazingly, after two weeks, I could type it about 30 words a minute. And it's just gone up since that. And I've never looked back. Um, Amazingly, I still can touch type a little bit with QWERTY, even though I couldn't really do it before. So I'm not quite sure how that works. But um, yeah, if I sit down at your computer, the first thing I'll do if I have to type something is I'll go up in the top right corner, I'll change the keyboarding input to Dvorak, and I'll just type. I can completely touch type. I never need to look down at the keyboard at all. And uh, I found it's an amazing way to to type. So highly recommended, though it's a bit of an odd thing. And uh, people definitely look at you strangely <laughs> when you when you show them your computer. So one also thing I should add about this is that it's a bit of an oddity because I do change my keys whenever I buy a new laptop. I'm at a point where if I'm doing a you know a keyboard shortcut or I, I do, I do want to look down occasionally at the keyboard so it's no longer a crutch, but I want to see the keys that are actually being pressed. So yeah, I've changed my keyboard layout to be the Dvorak layout. And so if you use my computer, you'd better be able to touch type in QWERTY or you're going to be pretty slow going. <laughs> All right, the second neat thing about me, which you'd probably not guess, especially based on this podcast, is that I'm also a percussionist. This goes back a really long time, almost to, I guess, about grade eight, which, to be fair, I'd only been playing clarinet for, or maybe grade nine, but I'd only been playing clarinet for a little while, and I had the urge to also learn percussion. Interestingly enough, percussion was actually the instrument I wanted to play first, and I'll never forget being in band and I chose the clarinet, and this probably sounds ridiculous to, to many people out there who chose it for all these noble reasons, but I really picked clarinet because my friend had a clarinet, and I really wanted to sit next to him in band, and it was one of the only instruments I could make a sound on. But my real intent was to join the percussion, which at my school you couldn't do that in first year because they wanted everyone to start on a wind instrument. I don't have any idea why at this point, but that's the way it was. Um, And by the end of the first year, I just had so much fun playing clarinet and enjoyed playing the melody that I just decided not to do percussion at that point. But a couple years later, the urge crept back in and my parents ended up borrowing a drum set from our neighbor and I self-taught how to play a lot of different beats and I would sit down and play along to all my favorite music. And it wasn't long before I joined marching band and I ended up playing snare drum in marching band and touring around and, uh, you know, doing that for a lot of years. So yeah, I have a bit of a background with it now, I suppose. And it's even to the level where I've performed professionally, locally with various orchestras and traveled around the province. And uh, I've played, you know, crash cymbals, um, marimba, xylophone, 
um, snare drum, uh, a bunch of, there's a lot of weird different drums and things you play as percussion too. Like I've played djembe and all kinds of things. So yeah, I've, I've have quite a lot of experience with percussion. And in fact, when I recorded my album in 2015, I'm actually playing marimba on a couple of the tracks on there, which I'm not sure a lot of people realize. So yeah, it's just been another sort of passion of mine. I've always been very, very interested in percussion. And I think that it really helps for your clarinet playing in the sense that it's kind of hard to have bad rhythm and be a percussionist at the same time. I, I almost think that instead of piano, everyone should really take some drum set lessons and get some independence going and figure out how to play beats and be solid with your timing. Now, I know that piano does that too, but but uh, I think that drums is just a great, great thing for anybody to learn. Along those lines, before I move on, I guess I should mention that I also play a little bit of piano keyboard, not that much, not that well, but I also play guitar and I dabble around with bass guitar as well. And I even do a little bit of my own kind of songwriting for myself and uh, play various music that I like from different bands that I know. And uh, I'm always trying to improve those skills. I think that guitar actually is sort of a, a missed calling for me. I really, really love listening to guitar based music and uh, I love playing the instrument. I just wish I could do it a heck of a lot better. So the third thing about me, you might not guess, although if you've been listening to this podcast, you may have guessed it at some point, but I'm a huge fan of a band called Radiohead. And this started back when I was in high school. I remember it was the time when you would go to the music store and ask the guy who worked there what you might like to listen to. There was no Spotify playlist back then. You couldn't just throw on your iPod or your iPhone or whatever and and uh, get these amazing playlists served up to you. So you had to go spend $25 on a CD and make it yours and really invest some time into it. So anyway, I went up to the guy at the counter and I said, you know, look, I'm looking for something that's kind of like the Matthew Good band. I've listened to his whole catalog. Matthew Good is a Canadian artist, by the way. He's really great, but um, not really well known outside of Canada. So this guy says, well, well, you might like a band called Radiohead. And I said, oh, that's that's great, thanks. I've not heard of them, but I'll pick up a, a CD. So I went and I went over to the shelf and I used to love, I could spend hours in a record store just perusing the the CDs that were on hand and trying to find something rare or interesting or new. And I missed the days, sounds kind of sad, but I missed the days when you would buy a CD because of the way it looked. Really nice packaging or interesting or something you could identify with. But anyways, I went over there and they had one Radiohead CD. It was called OK Computer. And at that point, I guess it only would have been a couple years old, so not even that old, but yeah, I took it home, and I did as I often did. I put it on while I was doing some homework, and I honestly thought it was a bit of a joke. I couldn't believe how it sounded really kind of forced, and I just wasn't into it at first, but as you would do, not nowadays, but again, back in those days, if you bought a CD and you spent 20 bucks on it, which might have been your budget for the week or month on the CD, you're committed to it, so I kept it in rotation for a few weeks, But what I noticed is that every time I listened to it, I heard something else and the grooves and the music started to click for me. And I just, I'll never forget uncovering the layers in these albums back when I was in high school. It was to the point, I shouldn't say this on here, but it was to the point where I would skip class to go ride the bus to the mall and pick up another CD of theirs because I just couldn't stop. And I remember specifically one day I went up there and They had this three for $30 sale at at HMV or something. And I picked up three CDs. It was Kid A, which was the one I was most visceral about. I hated it the most, but it's now my favorite album of all time. It was also Pablo Honey, which is more kind of their, I want to say grunge or 
more rock album. And I also grabbed their latest one, which would have just come out called Hail to the Thief. And uh, I remember just putting all these different CDs on rotation. At that point, I must have had four or five or six of their albums, which would have been all of them at the time. But I couldn't believe it was the same band because Pablo Honey starts off as kind of a grunge rock type album. The next album called The Benz is really kind of a, it's almost like Oasis uh, slash Coldplay sort of stuff. Um, the third one, OK Computer, is is like a rock. It's become a rock icon. Like it's an alternative rock, one of the best albums of all time to many. And then they took a completely different shift for Kid A. And just as they were about to burst onto the scene as like the next U2, they, they just became this bizarre electronic whoopity doop kind of music, which I just fell in love with that album. Kid A is just the best for me. But then there's another one called Amnesiac, which is basically Kid A 2. Was even recorded during the same sessions but even has a more dark kind of paranoid feel to it but and then the the other record that existed at that time was called hail to the thief which was almost more back to a kind of rock feel with the different sounds so anyways yeah they just have such an interesting um musicality about them i love the production i love talking about radiohead too and i talk about it so much that you may not know this but i also have a radiohead podcast called okay podcast can find it at okpodcast.com and i've even been fortunate enough to talk to some people who have uh you know recorded or or written about the band at this point which is really interesting for me so yeah check out radiohead if you've never gotten into it there's actually some some uh really good stuff in there and there's actually clarinet on one song on amnesiac called life in a glass house and i've tried desperately to get that clarinetist on the show but i'm pretty sure it's never going to happen at this point so the fourth thing about me you've probably never guessed, and this sort of goes along the line of everything else, I guess, really, is that if you know me personally, you'll know that I kind of tend to take things to the extreme. I either love something or I hate it. And when I love something, I really go in over the top, as you can probably tell by talking about the clarinet for like 200 hours on this podcast. <laughs> so I like cars. Um, maybe not cars so much that I like to work on them and, you know, talk about them on podcasts, but there's certain cars that I, I've really liked in my life, and one of those has been the Camaro, and that might seem kind of like a, a typical car for a guy to like, but I don't know, for me it was different. Like when I first saw one, I think I was about 11 or 12, and I remember driving down the road with my dad, while well, he was driving obviously, but I just saw this car and it had sort of this really sleek appearance. The headlights were kind of faded into the, uh, the body, or sort of uh, tucked away I guess, and then the, the the side mirrors were sort of blended into the body molding and the spoiler was sort of part of the car on the back and it just looked like probably the coolest car I'd ever seen, but also very sleek and elegant at the same time. And I just remember saying like, what is that? And he said, it's a Camaro. And, and this was back before the internet. So I just kind of kept my eye out for more Camaros and got a book about them and became really interested in the history of the car and the different generations and and all this, and uh, it sort of peaked for me around 1997 when the 30th anniversary edition came out. So this car has been around since the 60s, but they had like a nice white body with white wheels and white interior with orange stripes, and it was just a really, really cool car. That's still my ultimate number one dream car, actually, the, the car I'd love to have the most. So it killed me a couple years later when they actually discontinued this car because it wasn't selling that well. Um, but around 2010, they brought it back, and... Around that time, I was like, oh, you know, it's nice still. It kind of has some nostalgia to it, but I didn't really like that body style all that much that they came back with. So, And I wasn't really in the market or able to afford a, a car like that. So I just 
let it be. But eight years later here, I was looking for a second vehicle and it suddenly crossed my mind like, wait a second, why shouldn't I consider trying to get a Camaro? And obviously the first thing you think is, well, you're a father, don't you have to put the baby in the back? But you'd be surprised if you want to make it work, you actually can. There's there's car seat connectors back there and it's not that bad to get in and out of. Um, you know, I'm not that that extremely tall so it's it's not a nightmare to get in and out of the back seat but anyways I started looking around and I actually found a really good deal on a new or relatively new Camaro that I've made my own so it's a white one just like I always wanted it's a body style which I like a lot more than the ones they first came back with and I don't know it just it it's one of those things where you're almost afraid of getting what you want and if that makes any sense you don't want to like get something you've been dreaming about your whole life and then find out maybe it's not what you wanted. Sometimes the joy in something is in wanting it. I know that sounds kind of weird, but I sort of just realized like, I think this is something I've wanted for over 20 years. I think I should try it. And, and I'm really glad that I did. I've enjoyed driving that car for every minute and uh, it didn't break the bank. I got a really good deal. And I think that it's something that if you're ever in that kind of situation, and especially if people are telling you no, that's sometimes a sign that if you're screaming yes and other people are telling you no, go ahead and do it. So anyways, I've got some great pictures of me and my daughter in the car and uh, just enjoyed driving it around this summer. And I'll put a picture and a link up to that in the show notes for you to check out. Now, the last thing is going to seem a little bit ridiculous, but uh, my wife encouraged me to put this in here because she thinks it's super funny. So I love to cook. Um, I wouldn't say I'm a stellar cook. I mean, it depends what I'm making. I, I kind of have my my go-to dishes. I make a really mean breakfast and I make a great burger. Uh, I know how to use a deep fryer. When I was working in restaurants, actually, I realized that a lot of the food you eat is the same as you eat at home. Like, for example, the, the restaurant gets their ingredients from probably the same store you do. If they run out of lettuce, they go pick up some more lettuce at the local Safeway or whatever. But the big difference comes in process. What I mean by that is you just can't make fish and chips at home like you can in a restaurant. And the reason is because you don't have a deep fryer probably. So if you make a couple of these changes and learn from being in a kitchen, um, you can actually cook basically restaurant quality food by being at home. And I, I had a kitchen job, like I said, uh, actually, ironically, I had my kitchen job to pay for going to see Radiohead for the first time in 2008. But I learned a lot of stuff on that job, which I really value to this day. And it's just one of those things. And if you're a student listening to this, try not to get discouraged by the, the crappy jobs that you're working um, on the side if you need to. A lot of people need to work jobs on the side. And maybe I could do a separate episode about this at some point. But I've worked a lot of weird jobs. But the kitchen was one that was really valuable. And uh, anyway, so I like to cook. I like to explore the process of proper cooking methods as opposed to just home cooking. And there was a time, I don't really remember why this started happening, but I would make these ridiculous recipes where it was almost a mockery of, of cooking shows um, in the sense that cooking shows are usually really pretentious, but there was me kind of just cooking up, you know, pancakes or whatever in my, in my kitchen. And there was just this day where I pretended to start working with a, a chef and I had this chef alter ego come about and I, I called him Chef Lombardier and I have no idea why that just popped into my head one day and I, I actually started a blog about it and I started telling my friends about it and uh, it was actually really weird at first because I, I don't know why I started doing it but it just became a kind of a running joke 
but it was an inside joke, which not everyone understood, of course. So, for example, I was on Facebook one day and I I was talking about, oh, I was working with the chef this weekend and Chef Lombardier was here and we cooked up a great meal or whatever and I learned so much. And my friend texted me and he's like, oh, well, congratulations on opening up the restaurant. And I talked to another friend of mine. And I said, can you believe that that Jordan, that was the guy's name, that Jordan thinks I'm going to open a restaurant? Like, what is he thinking? And this other guy's name was Rob. He said, well, Sean, it's a little bit more normal to open up a restaurant than it is to start an alter ego chef and, and be blogging about your experiences with him. And I, I laughed and I was like, oh, yeah, OK, you're right. And I kind of had to I was keeping it sort of as a joke for a while. And I had this website going and uh, I even had like a, a menu I was cooking through and I would interview the chef. And it was getting to be a little bit ridiculous. And, but I had to kind of tone it down when I started the podcast because I I was making all these jokes about the chef and that was at a time when people were adding me on Facebook from the podcast that didn't necessarily know me and it was also at a point where I'd started the um, the Patreon for the podcast so I was trying to raise funds to keep it going and it kind of hit a breaking point this one day I realized I had to separate sort of church and state if you will um, I'd said something like oh the chef made me whatever today and and this guy commented he said look I can't believe you have the gall to go asking for money from people when you have your own personal chef. <laughs> so I kind of had to let the cat out of the bag. Um, I've actually been Chef Lombardier for, for Halloween. And believe it or not, I actually own a proper chef jacket and hat that's embroidered with Chef Lombardier on it. <laughs> um, the main reason is because, believe it or not, you can actually get official uniforms for various jobs easier than you can buy a Halloween costume. It's actually cheaper too. So I went looking for a chef outfit one Halloween to be the chef as a joke. And it was like $85 or something. And I found that if I went to a chef uniform shop, I could order a nice chef jacket and a hat for like 40 bucks. So it was actually embroidered too with the whole chef Lombardier and a Canada flag. (laughs) So that's a great tip, but it, you should have seen that day was pretty funny because I went in there and, and usually what happens at this uniform store is you, you tell them what, what restaurant you work with and they, they you know print off your name and what level of chef certification you have or whatever. And this guy was kind of like, okay, let me get this straight. So you're not a chef, but, and your name is Sean Perrin, but you want me to embroider Chef Lombardier on this because that's your chef alter ego? Like, okay. <laughs> so... Anyways, that's probably the most ridiculous thing about me, I I hope anyways, and uh, I do hope that you enjoyed today's episode. It was supposed to be fun, obviously not clarinet related, so if you are looking for more clarinet-based content, definitely check out the website at clarinet.com. There are almost 120 episodes of conversations with great clarinetists from all around the world. If you have any questions about today's episode or feedback, I'd love to hear from you. Please send me a message at feedback at clarinet.com. Thanks so much for listening to the show. Hope you enjoyed getting to know me and the neat or weird things about me on today's episode. And I look forward to seeing you next time on the Clarinet Podcast. Thank you so much for listening to the Clarinet Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, I'd appreciate it if you'd subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or wherever you happen to listen to your podcast. You can also check out the website at clarinet.com for over 100 hours of free audio content with the world's greatest clarinet players, manufacturers, and more. If you loved what you heard, I'd love it if you'd support the podcast for as little as $1 per month. As a thank you, you'll get access to extended versions of many episodes, bonus content, and more. 
Hosting for Clarinet is sponsored by Bakun and their new Vocalese mouthpiece, Complex Resonance at a Reasonable Price. Get yours at www.bakunmusical.com and save 10% on any accessory purchase with code CLARINET at checkout. Don't forget to check out D'Addario's line of Reserve, Reserve Classic, and new Reserve Evolution reads. You can head to your local music store or to clarinet.com reads to buy a box right now. That's all for now. Be sure to tune in next time for more of what's new and neat with clarinet with the neatest people in the industry on the Clarinet Podcast.